do wear covering over your head. It's kind of traditional, uh, following tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. But I will show you this afternoon or this morning that uh, the tradition of or the wearing of the head, the veil is uh, not tradition. It's something that the Roman Catholic Church has kept a fundamental doctrine that was believed and practiced by the early apostolic church. Amen. We know that uh, when the church was uh, incepted, when the first uh, church came to be, started by Jesus Christ himself, as he walked this earth, he sent the 12 disciples out. Uh, the church was begun, and the Lord gave to the church, he gave these apostles to go out and preach the gospel. And if you will read the New Testament, you will see uh, the writer of the book of Corinthians, which is Paul. He was a great advocate of preaching God's word and doctrine. I believe Paul wrote something like, if I'm not mistaken, 17 of the of the New Testament uh, books of the Bible. And most of these are encouragements. These are letters to the different churches. The book we've read to you this morning, the first book of Corinthians, is his letter to the Corinthian church. His first letter to the Corinthian church. And here he is instructing them about the head covering. Amen. So you will see that uh, before there was a Catholic church, there was the apostolic church that was started on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Now we must understand that uh, the church started to grow at a rapid rate where uh, Rome was in all power and they saw the apostolic church as a threat to uh, their kingdom. So to kind of uh, combat that, their ruler, which was Constantine at the time, what he did was he went out and, and you know, you've heard it in church history. History will tell you that they used to get Christians and they would take them to Colosseum and feed them to lions and they would take them and, and light them up in the city. with. Uh, they would put some type of gas or some kind of ointment on them and light them up to light up their cities. They would uh, kill the, the Christians. And it seems that the more Christians that they killed, the more Christians just happened to pop up. Christianity was being preached. Uh, and if you read the book of Acts, the Bible tells you that the church of God grew so rapidly that, that within a matter of years, I think it was a matter of seven or 12 years, that the whole uh, uh, Asia, the old western part of the, the, the world, knew about the gospel. Amen. And many were saved and baptized in the name of Jesus. But this was a threat to the Catholic church. So the Catholic church, kind of to combat that, they begin to persecute the Christian. We all know about that. So what happens after the, the, the persecution started, uh, we see that there was a great growth. They couldn't stop the Christianity. So Constantine said, what I'll do is I'll join the church. I'll come into the church and, and I'll act like one of them. I'll, I'll pretend to be a Christian and, and I'll just little by little begin to change some things. And we know through our church history, and time does not permit us to get into that today, but we know that Constantine came in and said, I want to be part of you. Uh, the Christian church was really, the apostolic church was really amazed. Hey, uh, Constantine wants to, to be part of us. And they accepted him into the church. And, and he believed as, as the church believed. But little by little, as he rose up to power in the church, he began to change the doctrine. He began to change some things in the church. He began to change. And that's why we have the Trinitarian doctrine today, because he took away the, the oneness. And he took away water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. He began to change fundamental doctrines in the church. Amen. One of the things that was in the church when he came to be in the church was a veil. Amen. That was started by the apostolic church. 
Amen. It was tradition. It was something that was practiced in the church of years ago. Amen. So this is something that was not, we're talking about the veil today, was not uh, tradition comes out of the Catholic church. And, and I know people today that have uh, ceased attending apostolic churches because they feel that we have uh, Catholicism within us. Amen. Because we're Hispanic, our culture is, well, we come from the Catholic church. We brought some of the traditions down with us, but the veil was not brought down through Catholicism. It was started through the apostolic church, and we will show you that here today. It wasn't until recently that the Roman Catholic Church stopped uh, requiring its women to wear uh, head coverings or veils. Amen. But on the other hand, there's been a great error made by many leaders and teachers in our churches today. They take verse 15 that says, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering. Amen. This scripture has been interpreted incorrectly when trying to uh, decide which is correct. Is the hair really the covering? And that's what we're going to address today. Amen. We hope to bring to your attention today, according to God's scripture, the answer that it is necessary that a woman needs to cover her head when it, she comes into the house of the Lord. It's not tradition, but it's biblical. Amen. So for that, I want to go to the Old Testament. Amen. It's very important, I believe, for us to notice uh, the importance of the veil in the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament was considered to be important and indispensable. Uh, it was required in the furniture of the tabernacle. Amen. A veil is what separated the holy place from the holies of holies. It was in the holies of holies where God would manifest himself. God would begin to speak uh, to man, to the high priest. The presence of God was so awesome. It was so uh, uh, great that, and sacred that no one other than the high priest was allowed to go into the holiest of holies. Amen. And the only thing that separated uh, man from God's presence from the holy of holies was a veil that separated man from God's presence. Amen. Uh, the Lord told Moses, he said, I want you to make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen and of cunning work and with cherubims it shall be made and you'll hang it on the pillars with shittim wood and overlaid with gold and their hooks shall be made of gold on four sockets of silver. And I want you to hang this veil under the thatches and you bring in uh, the veil and the ark of the testimony into the holy of holies. There's got to be a separate piece because that is where the mercy seat. That is where the awesome presence of God is going to be. You see, because man was separated from God because of his sin, God could not dwell with man. There had to be a separation. And so that separation was a veil. Amen. That is the very importance of the veil today. Amen. And so God told Moses, he said, the veil shall separate unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. And you shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. In other words, I'm going to come down and dwell with my people, but I can't dwell directly with them. There's got to be a separation. The time's going to come when I'm going to be able to get rid of this separation. But for right now, there's got to be a separation. And this separation is in the form of of the veil. Amen. The Ark of the Testimony, which was a mercy seat, was covered with a covering before God would speak to them. According to Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 to 22. Amen. We don't have time to go into that today, to go into reading that to you, but the Bible tells us that uh, it was covered with a covering 
before God would speak to them. The veil separated them. So we see again the importance of the veil in the Old Testament. Now Exodus chapter 40 verses 1 to 3 tell us that, uh, about the tabernacle being set up. The Lord spoke again to Moses. He told him on the first day of the first month, I want you to set up the tabernacle, the tent of the congregation, and thou shalt put the ark therein of the testimony and cover the ark with a veil. Amen. The veil, very, very, very important. The first thing that was to be done was to take the ark of the testimony and cover it with a veil. The Bible tells us in the book of Exodus, amen, verses 18, it says that Moses reared up the tabernacle. He put up the tabernacle. He fastened the socket, set up the boards thereof, and put the bars and reared up the pillars. He spread apart the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent upon it as the Lord commanded him. And he took the testimony into the ark and set it into the ark and the mercy seat above it. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle according to the way God had told him. And he set the veil upon the covering and covered the ark of the testimony. It was sacred. It was holy unto God. Amen. As the Lord had commanded him. So we see the importance of the veil in the Old Testament. Amen. We see that it covered the Ark of the Covenant, which was a presence of God, which was sacred. It was holy unto God. Amen. So it brings us to the question, why a head covering should be worn by a woman in worship? One of the first things that Paul establishes as he begins teaching concerning the, necess the necessity of a woman wearing a head covering or a veil in her worship is headship. Amen. First Corinthians, let's read it. First, first Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible says, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Amen. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. First, it's God. Secondly, it's Christ. Thirdly, man. And finally, woman. Headship implies subjection. Submission. And I think that's why we have a problem with the veil today, because it implies submission. It implies subjection. So why is man considered head of the woman, somebody might ask? Well, we've got to go back to Genesis, the third chapter, chapter 14 through 17. We're having a Bible study here this morning, and I want to show you, according to God's word, this is not what I'm teaching. This is not something that I came up with that I thought might um, give us a little bit more power here, but this is God's word. All scripture is given for instruction, for correction, for reproof, the Bible says. So Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 explains to us why man is considered head over the woman. The Bible says in verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shall thy go, and dust shall thy eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, this is her consequence for her sin. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be unto thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. That's Bible. Verse 17 goes on to say, unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and has eaten of the tree which I have commanded of thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. You see, judgment fell when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. 
Judgment not only fell on them, but it fell upon Satan. First of all, he was cursed above all cattle, and upon all his belly shall he crawl and eat dust all the days of his life. Amen. But judgment fell upon Adam and Eve also, the Bible says, what we have read here. Eve's judgment, as we all know, was her sorrow would be increased through conception. Amen. When she would have children, she would do it in pain and agony. And those of you that have children, you know, amen, that this is so true. But that's not all. The Bible continues to say her desire would be to her husband. Amen. And that he, talking about man, would rule over her. Amen. This is God's word now. Adam's judgment, the ground was cursed. He would have to sweat by his brow. He would have to work. The ground would not bring up fruit anymore. He would have to work for it. Amen. So the judgment from God, as we just read to you in Genesis, is reinforced in the New Testament. Amen. This is not just something, well, this is for the old church. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 to 14 say, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to assert authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression, was in sin, the Bible says. In other words, Eve was deceived. Amen. When the serpent came to her, he told her, well, you know, if you eat of this tree, I know the Lord God said that if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. But the real reason is that if you eat of this tree, you'll be more like God. And she believed the serpent. And she was very easily deceived. Now, when she brought the fruit over to Adam, and Adam took of it and ate of the fruit, he knew it was wrong. He wasn't deceived. He knew that it was a sin to eat of the fruit because he heard the word of God. And he took this fruit not because he was deceived, but rather because he didn't want to be separated from Eve, the woman that God had given him. He loved her so much. And so we see that he was willing to suffer whatever the consequence was and the punishment that he would have to endure because he loved her so much. And so when God pronounced his judgment, we have just read to you about he did so seeing that woman was a weaker vessel. Amen. Understand that this morning. And so we see that it's established from the beginning. First, it's God. We are subject to God. Secondly, to Christ. Amen. Christ the man. And then man has the authority. And then woman. It's not my word this morning. It's God's word that we're talking about this morning. And any time you go against God's word for any reason, whatever it might be, there are going to be repercussions. Is going to come back. And we're talking about headship. We're talking about authority this morning. The New Testament. It was originally written in the Greek. We know that. Amen. And so with this in mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses, uh, chapter 11 verses 5 and 13. Where it speaks about a woman being covered. The Greek word. I, I'm really careful to pronounce this. Akatakalupto. Uh, Amen. Is translated in the Greek. That's what the word uh, uncovered means. When you translate it to the, group, uh, to the Greek word, it doesn't mean uncovered. It means unveiled. Amen. So then the scripture that we read to you in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 5 would read, But every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head unveiled dishonoreth her head. For it is even all one as if she were shaven. And then again we have verse, uh, 1 Corinthians verse 11, verse 13 that says, Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God unveiled? Not only uncovered, but unveiled. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the veil this morning. Amen. The Greek word for the English word covered found in verse 6 and verse 7 
is translated from the original Greek language, no longer means covered, but it means veiled also. So we could read verse 6 and 7 in the same chapter. For if the woman be not veiled, let her also be shorn. Now the word shorn means cut off with scissor-like action or trim. In other words, if a woman is unveiled, it says here, let her also be shorn, let her cut her hair. Amen. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be veiled. We know it's wrong for a woman to take scissors to her head, and we'll get to that right now. Amen. But it says here, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be veiled. For a man indeed ought not to veil his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. Amen. Verse 4 tells us, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head veiled or covered, dishonoreth his head. Who's the head of man? God is. Amen. So if a man comes into the house of God with a cap on, a hat on, a veil, <laughs> amen, he's dishonoring God, the Bible says. Amen. Any type of head covering on his head, amen, it's an abomination to God. He dishonor, dishonoreth his head. And God is the, the head of man. But verse 5 says, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, unveiled, amen, dishonoreth her head. Amen. Who's the head of the woman? Amen. It's a man, the Bible says. She then dishonoreth man when she prays unveiled or without a, uh, an appropriate covering. The first, number one reason that uh, why a woman should cover her head in prayer when she prays or prophesies to honor man. Amen. To honor her husband. Amen. That is according to God's word. Amen. Before we go any further, let me explain to you why it mentioned in verse 5 and 6, if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Reading the group Greek and uh, Roman history in the, old, in the New Testament times, a, a Greek and Roman uh, women wore head coverings over their head. Amen. Along with the Hebrew women, the only ones that did not wear, and you will read in God's word, the only ones that did not wear head coverings were the prostitutes who had their heads shaven, the Bible says, were heathen priestesses who prayed to their false gods bareheaded with their hair disheveled. In other words, they were praying without a veil to their God. Kind of like blasphemy. In other words, they knew that the Hebrew women... The Roman women, the Greek women, they prayed to the Lord with their veil on and with their long hair. They went contrary to God's word. And when they prayed to their gods, they took off their veils. They had their hair all cut up and they prayed to their gods. Amen. That's about what the Bible says. Then it says here, then it would be a shame to be compared a prostitute, a heathen priestess to those that did not wear a veil upon their head. Amen. That's what the Bible is comparing one that does not wear a veil on their head when they come into the house of the Lord. Amen. They have no one over them. A prostitute has no uh, regard for authority. She has no regard. Amen. A heathen priestess is that worship false gods. The first thing she would do would take off her veil and cut her hair up. The first thing a prostitute would do, she would take off her veil. She would walk through the city streets and they would notice that she was a prostitute because she didn't have her veil upon her head. Amen. This is... Bible now. This is not what we're talking about. This is what is in God's word. Amen. So verse 6 tells us, for if the woman 
be not veiled, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn, which it is, the Bible tells us, let her be veiled or let her be covered, the Bible says. Amen. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. Amen. Women, you got to understand today that you are man's glory. Amen. You are the glory of man. And again, we see the key of the key, the headship in which subjection is presented. But the woman is of man, but the woman is made for the man. We see that when God created Adam, he then put Adam to sleep. And out of man, the Bible says, God took woman. Amen. Woman, you were taken out of man. That doesn't mean you're any less than us, but yet God created it that way. And he has put man in authority over you. Amen. Over woman. That's God's way. It's not my way. Amen. So we see that reason number two is why a woman should cover her head in prayer when she prophesies that she is the glory of man. Amen. She is the glory of man. Amen. For this cause ought the woman to have power, authority on her head, on top of, because of the angels. That's verse 10 that tells us. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angel. The angels of the Lord. Amen. Uh, it says here, reason number three, as why women should have covering on her head, the veil, because of the angels, showing subjection in the presence of the angels of God. Amen. Psalms 34 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and deliver him. Suffer not my, uh, thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Amen. There are angels in the temple worshiping God. For we are made a spectacle, spectacle unto the wor world and to the angels and unto men. The Bible tells us that the reason women should wear is because of the angels showing subjection in the presence of the angel. Amen. Showing the uh, uh, subjection in the presence of the angels. Number one, to honor man. Number two, because she is the glory of man. And three, because of the angels, the Bible says. Amen. Uh, angels are ministering spirits. And according to the, uh, God's plan of salvation, we are all in the same position. Amen. Judge not in yourselves. It is comely. Correct. It's becoming, the Bible says, that a woman pray unto God uncovered. Amen. Is it comely? It's asking us a question. Amen. Paul asked the brethren these types of questions 275 times in, in, his, in his books in the New Testament. He was appealing to their self-understanding. He was appealing to their own nature. And he asked themselves, and he would give them the answer, but yet he would cause them to ask themselves a question. Amen. Is it comely? Is it natural that a woman pray unto God uncovered, unveiled? Amen. Paul expressed it in his word. He said, judge yourself. Is it correct? Is it a tradition that a woman go before the presence of God without her veil? He asked it, and at the time it wasn't. And this is to the New Testament church. This is not Old Testament. This is not something that is tradition, but it is for correction, for reproof, for the new church. Amen. For the church of God. This happened after the day of Pentecost, after the church started, the church that we are in today. So we're not preaching something that's out of the Old Testament. Amen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 to 12, Paul gives detailed explanation of the spiritual reasons as why a woman should wear a veil in worship as she prays and prophesies. 
because the woman is the glory of man because of the angels. But he also gives uh, why a man should be unveiled in worship because he dishonoreth his head, which is God. He is the image and glory of God. Amen. So now verses 15 and 16, they make a comparison of the natural with the spiritual. He gives natural ways and reasons why uh, man should remain uncovered in his natural daily life. Amen. The Bible says in verse 14, does not nature itself teach you, amen, our natural daily living, that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. Amen. Why is it a shame unto him? Amen. Why is it a shame unto man to have long hair? The Bible says it is. Amen. A man cannot keep his hair clean and neat like a woman. Amen. It's feminine. Amen. Uh, it's a feminine trait. Uh, you'll notice it says that if a man has long, share, uh, long hair, it is a shame. Unto who? Amen. Unto him. Unto man. Referring to his earthly life. Yet when a man prays or prophesies veiled, wearing a cap or hat, he dishonoreth, he dishonoreth his, his head, which is God. Amen. We're talking about the veil and the hair being two separate distinctions here. Amen. A man unveiled in, in uh, spiritual worship, he is not to wear a veil. That does not mean now, amen, that a man is supposed to bald himself. Amen. If we took the scripture literal here, that means every one of us, before we went to pray, brothers, we'd have to get a razor and shave our hair bald. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. There's a separate distinction here. The Bible says, does not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. Amen. It's a shame unto him to have long hair. A man's hair is supposed to be neat and short. Amen. That is a spiritual, spiritual aspect. Amen. That is a spiritual walk with God. That's a holiness uh, attribute, amen, when it comes to God. We know the Bible tells us that man should not have long hair. We're supposed to have our hair nice, short, amen. We're supposed to be uh, distinct between a man and a woman. But then we go down, amen, to verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is her glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a, for a, a covering, amen, the Bible says. A body covering. In her daily life, her hair is her glory to her. Amen. God has always made a distinction between man and woman. Amen. A woman is to have long hair. Beautiful long hair. Amen. He wants them to be different, the Bible says. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. And when he does, the Bible uh, says that he is trying to be and look like a woman. Yet long hair, amen, is a glory for the woman. Amen. So then we come to the point that if a woman cuts her hair, she is willing to lose her glory. Amen. There are people that believe because, I'll, okay, I'll wear the veil. That serves as my covering, but then I can go ahead and cut my hair. No, the Bible does not give us that authority. The Bible tells us, as we explain to you, that a woman's hair should not be shorn. The Bible tells us that. The shorn says cut off with scissor-like action or trim. Amen. The Bible does not give us that authority. Amen. There's a spiritual and there's a natural. Amen. The spiritual aspect is... That our veil gives honor to man. But our hair, our long hair on a woman gives glory to God. It's a glory that the woman has. Amen. So we understand that a woman cannot cut her hair and continue serving God because it is uh, an abomination to God. Amen. And we'll get into that eventually. Amen. But reading the book of Numbers, we see observations concerning the head covering. When a wife was uh, accused of adultery, she was brought before the high priest. 
She was tested to see if she had uh, committed adultery. And if you'll notice very carefully, the first thing that they would do to her was they uncover her head. Amen. Once again, we see headship, subjection being exercised here. She was now uncovered, showing that she was no longer under the headship of her husband. Amen. She was an accuser. This also shows the Hebrew women wore head coverings over their head. In Genesis chapter 24, verses, uh, verse 65, when Isaac came to Rebekah, the Bible says she immediately covered herself. We see headship, subjection being exercised by women uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 38, verses 13 through 19. The prostitutes not only covered their he- uh, uncovered their heads, but also their faces, or they covered their heads and all their faces. They would wrap their bodies. Judah did not know Tamar as she was covered by her face. Amen. Church history itself tells us and bears witness to the fact that women in the early church wore veil. Amen. Uh, Books have been written admonishing young ladies the importance of covering their head in worship when they come to church, when they read God's word. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he grows old, he shall not depart from it. Amen. I believe that we should start teaching our young children, even at this early age, to, to wear the veil because of what it represents. Amen. What it represents today. And we have given you scripture and kind of went through it very rapidly because we do not really have time to go into and explain, but we have given you scripture and, and you can go ahead and read these scriptures that we have given to you and, and take them to heart and realize what God is, is telling us. First of all, the veil is given to to you that that you might be in subjection, that you might fulfill God's uh, law, His plan. And and a lot of times in the generation that we're living in today, uh, we try to get away from God's Word as much as possible, and even in the Christian church. And and we are one of the only churches that believe in the veil and practice and preach the veil. And and they have made it a non-doctrine issue in the church today because it's kind of a headship uh, uh, thing. And, and people don't like to get into that, but yet it's biblical that we have brought this to you. The ver- first book of Corinthians, uh, the 11th chapter. When you have a chance, go back and read it. Bring out your commentaries and try to do away with this verse that Paul said, I give this to you for the teachings, for, for, for you can uh, teach your people. He says here, be followers of me as I also am of Christ. He says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep these ordinances as I have delivered them unto you. Amen. This is Paul writing to the New Testament church, the church of Corinth. Amen. And he begins to lay down the laws that God had given to him. Amen. Paul was a great teacher of the New Testament church. He went out preaching and many people were saved. And he indoctrinated so many people through the Holy Ghost that God had given him to discernment of the Spirit. And, and we see that he writes the letters to this church. That's why it's so important to read God's Word. Amen. It's very important. I was talking to somebody not too long ago and they talked about the veil. Well, the veil is a tradition. It's not a tradition. It's a tradition brought from the Catholic Church, and, and that's why we don't practice it. And I've heard other denominations, that's why, it's because it's biblical. Amen. The veil is biblical. Amen. And I uh, tell you the reason we bring these lessons to you, because I see that there's been a lack of the importance of the veil upon the head of our people, our apostolic people in this church here today. Amen. It's easy to, for us to forget uh, to put the veil on. It's easy for us, but remember the importance of the veil today. 
Amen. Go back and read the first book of Corinthians chapter 11. And it tells us of the word of God. And we explained it and kind of broken it down to you for you can see. And if you instruct your children and start them off at an early age, there's people that are really embarrassed, you know, the veil. And, and they walk in and they don't put the veil in until they actually come in here because they're embarrassed. There's nothing embarrassing about the veil. Amen. It implies subjection, submission. Amen. That's what the Bible says. Subjection, submission. Amen. The Bible says, Every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Amen. They don't cover their head and they dishonor their husband. Amen. It makes them rebellious. The Bible says, rebellious is as a sin of witchcraft. Amen. One, lead, one thing leads to another. One thing leads to another. So we see the importance of wearing the veil. Amen. And I think at an early age, if we can go ahead and teach our children to wear their veils, amen, they might not be baptized, they might not be saved, but if you instruct a child in the way that he should go, when he grows up, he will not depart from it. The same way we should come, mothers, amen, we should wear our veils to church. I know at times maybe we might forget them or, or misplace them, amen, uh, but we should always make it a point when we leave our homes, make sure we got our veil with us when we come into the house of the Lord because you're an example to your children. You are teaching them in your daily life. You are teaching them, amen. A woman veiled, amen, in her spiritual worship. Amen. The Bible tells us a woman is to veil or to cover her head when she prays or prophesies, showing subjection to God, man, and the angels, the Bible says. A woman's hair covering in her daily life, according to verse 14, she used to let her hair grow long, as this is her glory, her natural covering, her mark of distinction unto God in her spiritual life, in her daily life. A woman that remains covered both spiritually and in her natural life. In her spiritual life, she wears an appropriate head covering upon her head. In her natural daily life, her long hair serves as a covering for her. Amen. In her natural life. Amen. Some people that have taken off the veil. Amen. They say, okay, well, I won't wear the veil, but I won't cut my hair. Amen. There's other people that say, okay, I'll wear the veil, but I'll go ahead and cut my hair. They do away with the two, but there's no doing away with the two. Amen. There's a spiritual and there's a spiritual that we've got to understand. A natural and a spiritual this morning. And God wants us to abide by both of them. Amen. Your glow, your hair, sisters, today is your glory. And any time the Bible says if your hair is shorn, it says cut off with a scissor-like action or trim your hair. You're taken away from your glory. You're taken away from your glory. There's something about it when you walk into a store, a supermarket or something, you see a woman there with long, beautiful hair. Amen. There's a glory about her. Amen. She might turn around. She might be the ugliest thing in this world, let me tell you, but... <laughs> Her hair does bring a glory to her. Amen. I remember some years ago we were in a, in a uh, I forget what kind of store it was, but there was this, we were shopping down this aisle and I seen this lady there with long, beautiful hair. And I told my wife, wow, look at that lady's hair. She turned around and she had a mustache. It was a guy. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. That's not, <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be. Amen. Naturally, <laughs> naturally when you see long, beautiful hair, you attribute it to a woman. And if you read the Bible, amen, it's a custom. It's a custom that women have long hair and men hair to be short. There's got to be a distinction between the two. Amen. So we got to understand today that God has given us his word for uh, instruction. The Bible says that all scripture is given to us for instruction. Amen. It's given to us by inspiration of God. It's profitable to us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all works. Amen. 
It's not just coming to church and praising God, amen, but there's a way to do it. In the Old Testament, amen, God's presence was so awesome that there had to be a veil that separated from the presence of God. That's the same way it is today. The presence of God is so awesome today. The veil is still required in this New Testament church, this New Testament era. Amen. And I tell you today, church, that if you don't wear your veil, if you don't believe in the veil, it's a sin. According to God's word. Amen. The Bible says it. For if a woman not cover her, her head, let her also be shorn. In other words, if she doesn't cover her head with the veil, let her cut her hair. Amen. Why don't you just go ahead and take the shaver and just bald yourself. Amen. And we see this generation that we're living in today, that's what they do. Amen. They do away with uh, God's word, first of all. They do away with the authority. They don't like authority today. Amen. And, and here, we don't like uh, this authority that God has given us. Sometimes, man, I wish as a man we didn't have to take this authority that God has given to us. And even today, man has shrugged off the authority that God has given to him. But man, let me tell you, we sit here, we sit back today and say, yep, that's right. We have the authority here, woman. You wear that veil because I'm your authority. I'm your head. But let me tell you something, brother. When the day of judgment comes, you're going to have to stand before that wife of yours. And whether she makes it to heaven or not, you're going to have to stand in judgment before her as her head. And the children that God has given to you, you're going to have to stand in judgment over them as their head, as their protector. This is a great responsibility that God has given to you. And many times I realize the authority that God has given to us as men, that I have a family, I have a wife, I have children. And let me tell you, I struggle with them. Amen. I struggle with them having to tell them, hey, you got your veil with you today? Have you done this? Have you prayed? Uh, uh, trying to keep them spiritual. It's my job. It's my responsibility as God has given me that authority. Amen. Authority is not always uh, great. Amen. There's times you got to put the law down. There's times you got to get your children and give them wrath and, and punish them. And it's something you don't like to do, but that is the authority that God has given to man. Amen. So we see that authority is not always the greatest. Amen. And so we see today that God has given man the authority over the woman. But yet, amen, authority must be distributed, must be done with love and honor. And let me tell you, when you do things according to God's word, as we have taught you this morning, and, and we kind of try to, to bring this to you, amen, it's not much asking a woman to cover her head according to God's word because the Bible tells us that it is the glory to her unto her man, and your long hair is the glory unto God. Amen. This is according to God's word. Amen. And I believe that you start this at a young age. Our young sisters, you don't have to be baptized to put this veil on your head. But what you are doing, you're being an example. Amen. To your children. Have them cover their heads because it's God's word. It's not my word. Amen. God bless you this morning. We just thought we would bring you this because we see the importance. We see the importance, amen, of the veil in our church today. Amen. If you have any questions concerning this, you can come in the office and Again, we kind of breeze through this kind of quickly because time wouldn't permit us to go through it scripturally. But if you still have questions about the veil, you come to my office and I'll open up the word of God and I'll show you. Amen. We could get down on, on the headship and on the authority that God has given. We can go through all that. Let me tell you, get down to the nitty gritty and I will show you through scripture. Amen. But I believe what we have showed you this morning, you are convinced and God shows you. And those of you that have not practiced wearing your veil back there in the little area there, we have veils for sale. Now, if you can't afford it, we'll give you one. Amen. Praise God. I'll pay for it. Amen. There's no reason why you should not wear the veil. Amen. It's according to God's word. Amen. God bless you this morning. We're going to ask our ushers to come forward.